Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> I apologize now for when my voice gets a little croaky, but I'm trying to get over a cold. <laughs> it's what the water's for. <clears throat> uh, it was interesting about three, four weeks ago when the pastor called me and asked me if I could fill in today for him while he was on vacation. Uh, I had just watched a movie called Freedom. And it was the kind of movie that <clears throat> when it was done, I was sitting there with my eyes full of tears and I was thinking, what a message. So it was quite a coincidence, but you know what a coincidence is, don't you? That's when God chooses to remain anonymous. He delivered me a message and I'm going to try and pass it on to you. It's a simple message and it's not going to take only just a few minutes but I'm going to beef it up a little bit by giving you some background. So this is a three-part message. First part's going to be about the hymn, Amazing Grace. Uh, the second part's going to be about John Newton, who was the author of Amazing Grace. And the third part, then, is going to be about the message that I received from that movie, Freedom. And I told some of the girls, I thought about bringing in my... Uh, or wind up timer, my cooking timer from home to set it here to remind me because uh, I'm a history buff and I got into the research of this and actually forgot I was doing a message. <laughs> I spent hours digging up. I, I could stand up here and talk about Amazing Grace and John Newton for probably three hours easy if my voice would hold up, but I don't want to do that. So I'm going to watch the clock and I'm going to try and keep these first two sections to about five or six minutes. But I did want you to understand some of what I learned about both the song and the man. Uh, Amazing Grace was actually written in 1748 in a place called uh, Loxwilly, Ireland, which is on the west coast. Uh, the original hymn was six verses only. There have been several more written since then, but, but not by John Newton. They've been added by different people. Uh, it was first set to music in 1780, which was literally 30-some years after it was written. And the reason was that at that time in, in England, uh, they didn't have musical accompaniment in church. Most, most uh, uh, hymns they had were either read as poetry, chanted as a chant, or were sung a cappella. Uh, it was set to music the first time... Uh, in 1780, and in 1835, many, many years later, it was finally set to a tune called New Britain. And although it's been set to over 20 different musics over the years, New Britain was the form you just listened to. It's been pretty much in that form in the U.S. since that point in time. Uh, it actually kind of died out in England, but it became very strong in the U.S. in the 1800s. Between 1800 and 1830, it was incorporated into hymnals in the Baptists, Dutch Reform, Congregationalists, and the Methodist churches. By that time, it had literally, as I said, become unknown in England. Uh, it became the mainstay hymn of the Second Great Awakening, which was a great revival movement in the U.S. in the early 1800s. Literally hundreds of thousands of people came to know Christ through that, that Second Great Awakening. It also was adopted as the theme song for the abolitionist movement, both in the U.S. 
and in, uh, in England. Uh, one musical historian says that it's the most famous of all folk hymns. It's estimated that it's sung over 10 million times a year today. Uh, in the early 1960s, it moved over from the religious side of the Billboard music ratings to the pop side and actually spent 15 weeks on the pop charts in the, in the 1960s. Now, there are also, also some critics. One musical critic in Newton's time wrote, and I quote him, it was written by an unashamedly middle-brow lyricist writing for a low-brow com- congregation. One of the reasons he said that was there are less than 10% of the words in Amazing Grace that are more than one syllable. It was written on a very simple, precise, direct method. Now, I've also run into some, that you may have known by now, this is my favorite hymn. And I have run into over the years several people that disagreed with me very strongly. Interestingly enough, every one of them disagreed for the same reason. And I quote from them, how dare anyone call me a wretch? They take offense at that. It's still my favorite. So let's shift over to the guy that wrote this song for a second. John Newton was born in 1725. He was born into a very religious family. Uh, His mother had hopes that he would go into the ministry. Uh, His father was uh, raised Catholic but had adopted his wife's Protestant uh, faith. but his mother died when he was six. Because his father was a merchant, a shipping merchant, he was often gone from England, so he put uh, John into a uh, boarding school. And he only lasted about five years because he, he became a very rebellious, angry, uncooperative young man. So at age 11, his father apprenticed him to a shipping captain to learn the shipping trade. Needless to say, he continued to be angry, rebellious, and uncooperative to the point where the ship's captain traded him to the Royal Navy. (laughs) He was in the Royal Navy for not too long and deserted. And he was captured, recaught, and publicly humiliated by public whipping. Uh, he continued to be rather uncooperative, rebellious, and angry, and consequently, he was uh, traded to a, uh, a, a captain of a, of a slaving ship dealing in the slave trade from Africa. Interestingly enough, he was still uncooperative, <laughs> argumentative, reminded me a lot of myself when I was a younger man to the point where uh, that captain sold him into slavery in in Africa. And he spent several months as a slave on a plantation in Sierra Leone. Well, needless to say, his father heard about what was going on, contacted another ship's captain he knew, and the ship's captain went and bought him back and apprenticed him to his ship, still in the slaving trade. Uh, You got to understand, at this time in England, which later became really the, the seat of abolitionist movement, slavery was considered a very socially acceptable business. 
So they were all well-respected within their community. So he's a, he's a mate on this ship, and that was when, during a violent storm uh, in 1848 off the coast of Ireland, uh, they really feared that the ship was going to sink. And after spending seven to ten hours on the bilge pumps, John Newton volunteered to be tied into the helm and steer the ship into the storm so that they wouldn't be swamped. He spent 11 hours tied to that helm. Uh, The man obviously had some physical courage. During that 11 hours, though, he despaired for his own life, and he cried out to God to save him, and they were consequently saved. Two weeks later, in, uh, in Loxwilly, Ireland, they were repairing the ship, and John Newton wrote... Amazing Grace, in the first person, which really defined how he wrote, did everything as a minister. All of his sermons were in the first person. He shared with his congregation his sinful nature, his sinful life. He wrote a number of other hymns, all written in the first person, to denote and recognize and accept that he was a sinner which was very uncommon in England in those days because most clergy then talked down to their congregation. They were written in, the, you people are sinners and you need to be like me. And John Newton wasn't like that. Now, he started on his journey as a Christian like most of us do. He started slow. He stayed in the slave trade for an additional four years. And finally, in 1750, at the age of 25, he left the sea, he left the slave trade, he started working and started studying to become a minister. Well, he didn't get ordained till he was 39 years old. <laughs> And during that period, he also became a very vocal, outspoken opponent of slavery. God was working in his life all through that. But it all stemmed from uh, that point in time in 1848 when he cried out to God to save him, and he did. And it prompted him to write Amazing Grace. Well, I could go on for hours, but let's move on to the third part of this, which is really the object of my message. The movie Freedom is an interesting movie. It was panned by the critics. <laughs> they, they thought it was a very poor, poorly done movie. Uh, it tried to tell two stories in parallel. One was the conversion of John Newton and the writing of Amazing Grace. Not much else about his life. You've got to go into his biography to find all that stuff. Uh, And the second story was about a slave named Samuel, his mother and his wife and son, as they're escaping from slavery in Virginia uh, through the Underground Railroad into Canada. And it's interesting that there's the similarities between Newton and Samuel. They They were both miserable, unhappy people. Now, I looked up the definition of a wretch, and it basically is a miserable or unhappy person 
or someone in deep distress or misfortune. Again, both of them. Newton was a wretch by his own choice. He was rebellious. He was argumentative. He was greedy. He was a slaver. Samuel was a wretch because of other people's choices. He was a third-generation slave. He was chained. He was whipped. Consequently, he was angry. Both rejected the need for God in their lives. Samuel from his anger and Newton because he felt he just didn't deserve God's forgiveness because of what he'd done and been. Samuel, basically because he couldn't believe in God's forgiveness because of what others had been doing to him all his life. To me, they were both wretches, but not because of the physical aspect of what was going on. It was because of the state of their spirit, the condition of their soul. They had chosen to separate themselves from God. That's why they were wretches. To me, the wretchedness of amazing grace that it speaks to has nothing to do with the physical aspect. It's all the spiritual aspect. It's the soul. If we're not connected to God, if we haven't accepted what God has freely given us, we're wretches. I'll admit to it. I was a wretch half of my life until I finally became so wretched that I had to reach out to God just like John Newton did and say, Lord, forgive me. That's the simple message that was contained in that movie. Now, the critics can paint it all day long. I loved it. Like I said, I was in tears when it was over. I'd like to close by reading you a verse from Romans. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death... Now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. As I told you, John Newton wrote six verses to Amazing Grace, and the the worship team just sung those. Uh, I don't think we did the last one. His last verse, and I'd like to read it to you. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. Would you join me in prayer, please? Oh, Heavenly Father, I am am so thankful. for the relief that you gave me of my wretchedness, the joy you brought into my life when I reached out to you and said, Lord, control my life. I want to be one with you. Lord, if there's anybody in this building today that hasn't experienced that wonderful feeling of your amazing grace as it pours into your heart when, you accept, when you're accepted, I pray that they do so today before the day is over. Lord, in the physical aspects of life, or what they are. I'm suffering from a cold right now. Your amazing grace doesn't remove that because of 
Adam and Eve's original sin. We're living in a sinful world, and we're going to suffer the consequences of that. But we can have eternal life through you, Lord. And that's what I focus toward. Pain will come and pain will go as we live our lives. But we will be able to look toward that shining day when we can be in glory with you. Lord, for that, I thank you wholeheartedly. I thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.